Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the teen vaping epidemic in Minnesota, revolution drummer Bobby Z on the legacy of Prince's music, and we check in with Mike Grimm at the Golden Gopher Hall of Fame ceremony. But first, while the fall campaign season begins ratcheting up with candidates running ads calling each other dishonest, criminal, and crooked, some long-standing contentious issues flared up again this week, and MNN's Bill Werner has a quick recap. Stop live Green! Protesters this week shut down a Minnesota Public Utilities Commission hearing on Enbridge's controversial Line 3 pipeline upgrade through northern Minnesota. What are you doing? Your lives are under attack. Stand up, fight back. I'm sorry to say, folks, we're going to have to recess then um, until a further date and time. That's Public Utilities Commission Chair Nancy Lang. Republican State Representative Dan Fabian from Rosso says he is disappointed and angered that protesters were allowed to disrupt and force cancellation of that hearing. A short outburst or something like that, that's one thing. But to get to the point to where people are, are feeling threatened and there is some concern for public safety, that's unacceptable. It's easy to uh, choose the afternoon quarterback, I'll say. But, you know, if something like that happened in the community. When I was chairing it in the House, uh, you know, I would have called the sergeant at arms. I would have had the room cleared and we would have proceeded with our business at hand. State Public Utilities Commission officials responded in a statement that they, quote, will be confirming appropriate measures for when this matter is rescheduled for hearing, and they went on to say it will be taken up again as soon as possible. The commission had already discussed some aspects of the Line 3 project, but did not get to a particularly controversial issue before protesters shut down the meeting, namely whether Enbridge's insurance policy for the Line 3 upgrade covers oil oil spills. Enbridge claims it does, but Paul Blackburn with Honor the Earth wants to make sure. Enbridge's biggest spill, which is back in 2010, cost over $1 billion. is about $1.2 billion in cleanup costs. And even though Enbridge is a big company, it's still a lot of money. Blackburn's group plans to ask state regulators to order Enbridge to disclose any items not covered by its insurance policies on Line 3. Anbridge argues its insurance policy provisions are trade secrets protected by Minnesota law. Well, let's move from oil pipelines in northern Minnesota over to taconite mines. Governor Mark Dayton met this week in Nashwalk with Masabi Metallic's interim CEO and then briefed local officials. The question being, will bankrupt Esser Steel's plant reopen anytime soon? The governor said he shares people's frustration. For seven and a half years, I've been given the same runaround, the same promises, same assurances that haven't come forward. But the imperative that we get this project to succeed, whatever you know, twists and turns and ups and downs, this project's got to got to get through to the finish line and then begin to produce pellets and jobs. The governor says Masabi Metallics is doing thirty to forty million dollars worth of engineering this year and hopes to begin reconstruction of the plant next March. Interim CEO Gary Heasley says, "Quote." Masabi Metallics remains the only entity that can move this mine project forward. Chisholm Senator Dave Tomasoni's comment on the situation. We've been working on it for a long time, and, uh, and uh, boy, hopefully this is the one. Okay, Scott, we have been buzzing around matters political, and now I'd like to take off away from that topic and fly over to something kind of interesting that happened this week regarding drones. 
Wow, Bill, I've heard some and even been guilty of delivering some misguided segues before, but that was way off course. Sorry, Scott, I can't believe I said that. Seriously, though, XL Energy this week became the first company in the nation authorized to operate drones beyond line of sight, in other words, out of sight of the operator. The utility is using the roughly 40-pound computer and GPS-controlled flying machines to survey the condition of its transmission lines in Colorado and plans to do the same in Minnesota starting sometime next year. XL's Senior Vice President of Transmission, Michael Lamb, says one of the prime missions in working with the FAA is to ensure safe airspace. It's not unlike an air traffic controller. Um, There are... I mean, what people saw today in our demonstration was a drone take off and fly away beyond anyone's sight and travel about three miles and, and then come back and land. And it flew along our transmission line, so it was also taking pictures, so, which we will use to inform how we maintain that line. But on the site, after the drone left our, our visual site, um, people could go into a truck and actually look at maps that had on them all of the air traffic in the area. Um, And so, not unlike an air traffic controller, we were managing the airspace that that drone was in. Um, In addition, the drone is equipped with technologies that if it gets lost, it, it knows how to land safely. If it fails, it knows how to safely land without hitting anything. It has, um, it's not exactly radar, but it has technology on board to also note where um, there are other uh, aircraft coming in close proximity to it. So um, it is a mini version of, of an airplane. And let's talk a little bit about some of the advantages of this. Um, I assume that you can cover uh, more line length faster. Uh, is there is there a situation where it's a safer to do it than to have people there inspecting the lines, or talk a little bit about that if you would. We inspect our lines every year uh, to ensure safe and reliable operations. And and in the past, we've used helicopters or foot patrols, people walking the line. So what a drone does is it's much less expensive. It's 20% the cost of either one of those. In addition to that, it gets us much better data. So if you can imagine a helicopter flying above a transmission line, it's pretty far away. A drone can get up close and personal. A drone can hover. A drone can change the angle of how it's viewing the asset. So it it can look at an asset from uh, 360 degrees, in effect, where a helicopter really can't. So not only is it significantly less costly, it also provides us better inspection data. And thirdly, it actually reduces environmental impact and, and reduces safety hazards. That's XL Energy Senior VP Michael Lamb. A lot of folks around Minnesota are having quite a bit of fun with drones and taking some dramatic photos with them. And now a major utility based here is using them to do some serious work. Scott? Thank you, Bill. And let's uh, work on those segues in the future. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. 
And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish terrier hound chihuahua looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. Mm, I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring a white, gray, brown, black brindle. Simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, oh, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. This week, the Minnesota Health Department issued a back-to-school warning on the dangers of nicotine and e-cigarettes. MN's Tasha Radel has more. Coincidentally, this warning came the same day the FDA declared youth vaping an epidemic and are considering new rules to curb it. Joining me now is Laura Olivan, the Tobacco Control Manager at the Minnesota Department of Health. Laura, I understand you folks issued an advisory this week. Yes, we, uh, the Minnesota Department of Health issued a health advisory today to warn parents, health care providers, and other stakeholders about the dangers of nicotine on the adolescent brain. We uh, believe this is a public health concern, and we are seeing record numbers of youth using electronic cigarette uh, products. We had uh, we d- conducted a survey in 2017, and we saw tobacco use spike to 26 percent. It was our first increase in 17 years, and it's largely because of youth electronic cigarette use. Now, one in five youth are using electronic cigarettes. And, you know, one of the things I was looking through some different uh, resources online, and, and what I was seeing is that um, sometimes parents might not even know that their child is using this because these devices can resemble a number of things. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and this is an area of particular concern. So there's a number of new products that are out on the market, and they're high-tech-looking products. Uh, one of them, for example, is Jewel, and it looks exactly like a flash drive. So it's easily hidden. It emits uh, almost no odor, and the aerosol dissipates uh, quickly. But there are other reasons to be concerned about Juul and, and products. Um, another high-tech product called Soren is that they are using new kind of technologies that deliver high intense levels of nicotine more quickly into the adolescent brain. And that's why we've issued the health advisory. There are very direct harms to developing brains when they're exposed to high levels of nicotine, and it's an area of concern that we'd like to share more about. And right before um, I reached out to you folks, I saw some breaking news that the FDA is declaring that teen vaping is an epidemic and is really considering limiting sale uh, of these flavored products. And I'm assuming that's something there that you at the health department would, would welcome. We are very pleased to see the FDA announcement. It just came out, and they're recognizing uh, youth electronic cigarette use as an epidemic. It's widespread 
We are uh, evidence of that with our high numbers. And they also recognize that there are uh, both near-term and long-term uh, harms to that developing adolescent brain that make this an epidemic and a public health concern. I'm happy to share some more about that because we want uh, parents to understand this is not harmless vapor and that high levels of nicotine are dangerous for youth. And, you know, that that got me thinking about my next uh, question is, are you encouraging parents to sit down with their with their kids and, and, and talk about uh, nicotine and e-cigarettes? Absolutely, yes, early and often. So I think youth are attracted uh, to these products for a number of reasons. They're high-tech. They perceive them as perhaps cool. Uh, but more concerning, they think they're harmless, and they're anything but harmless. So we're strongly encouraging uh, quite a number of people to uh, kind of jump on board and address this crisis. So it begins at home. So, yes, uh, even as early as middle school, because we're seeing those numbers increase too, to talk to youth to uh, keep them safe and keep them away from using electronic cigarettes. But we're also engaging uh, with school officials. We issued a letter to every superintendent uh, in the state to remind them that youth may not use electronic cigarettes uh, in schools and to increase their awareness of the dangers. And we're reaching out to the healthcare uh, community. You know, early exposure when that brain is developing is dangerous to the brain because it primes the brain, or the brain learns addiction. So uh, youth become more easily addicted uh, to electronic cigarettes, increasing the likelihood that they'll uh, later use uh, combustible or regular cigarettes. But also uh, studies show that there are longer-term impacts that could uh, increase their risk or susceptibility to addiction to other substances like alcohol, drugs. So it's not just about tobacco. What age do you have to be to buy e-cigarettes? Is that is that 18 and up as well? So that's a great question. Statewide, the law is still 18, but we have 11 cities that have increased the minimum sales age to 21, and we uh, applaud those efforts. We want to make it harder to buy tobacco. One of the things that does is take the social source, you know, that senior that can buy uh, tobacco, out of the high school, and it's proven effective. They think we can prevent 30,000 kids from starting to use tobacco by increasing that minimum sales age to 21. Well, lots of great information. Uh, Anything else you wanted to add that I didn't hit on today? Just that uh, youth, uh, no amount of nicotine is safe for youth. To have, uh, we need a full court press where we're all involved and to keep our youth safe and tobacco and nicotine free. And I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to share this information. Thanks again to my guest, Laura Olivan, Tobacco Control Manager at the Minnesota Department of Health. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. As drummer for the revolution, Bobby Z backed Prince for the better part of a decade during one of the Minnesota music legend's best remembered and most creative periods, an era that saw the release of a string of iconic albums, including 1999 and Purple Rain. As the revolution prepares for a string of upcoming shows in greater Minnesota, I chatted with Bobby about his long friendship with Prince and the legacy of the music they made together. You know, the song Purple Rain, which is just kind of etched in stone and memory. And what we're finding when we're playing is, you know, these songs were, were more than just songs. They're part of people's lives. They're birthdays, their weddings, their graduations. There, A lot of people made babies. A lot of people, you know, brought their babies to the show. So, I mean, the music is, is, is obviously timeless. But for me personally, uh, you got to remember that, that Purple Rain was the album and i started with prince before the demo so it is it's a journey and that album I, I to say that i'm proud of him and what he accomplished in the in that period of time with those six albums is an understatement talk a little bit about if you don't mind the the progress that he made over the course of those albums you know a, a lot of the early stuff that he did was just him recording and kind of controlling everything and he really did sort of evolve into something over that period of time. And what was it like to, to be there to see that uh, evolution firsthand? Well, I think he knew uh, you know, and as well as I knew, because, you know, when you start at a young age, you know, being in a band is tricky. And whether you're famous or not famous or, you know, everybody who's tried it, most everybody's tried it, you know, it, it, it can be difficult. And I think because he had come from a band situation with Andre and Morris and Champagne and had, and had the talent, obviously, and the ability to be a solo artist, that really never left all the way to the very end with the piano and the microphone thing. So we know that he was an amazing individual artist, individualist. But humans need humans, and he wanted a gang. And... Uh, you know, if you watch Quadrophenia, which had a major effect on him, the mods and the rockers, you know, they're, they're, there's just something about being in a gang and building the revolution step by step, person by person, if they wanted to stay or not stay. It really didn't happen until Wendy came in and, and, and everybody was then, you know, gung-ho. And it takes a while to get the right chess pieces in play. And I was, you know, with him to help guide all that happen. And it was very exciting when the right band members clicked. And obviously, Purple Rain, you know, turned into a, a, a group effort. It was a devastating loss when Prince left us. And I'm curious if you could just talk a little bit about the process of how you and the, the other band members made the decision to, to come back again and to to sort of help his legacy and his music live on. I, I can't imagine that that was an easy decision. It wasn't, and it for me, uh, you know, for all of us, it was it was difficult because we don't know what to do. You know, here's this massive musical giant. You were in a band with him. Some people chose to participate in in tribute, musical tributes right away. Well, if you really look at it, you know, we waited an entire year, and I couldn't get out of bed. I mean, I didn't, you know, this guy has been my guiding mentor every day. I would, you know, make sure I knew where he was and, you know, just 43 years of friendship with the guy. And, um, so if, after, a, you know, a year, 
we had to honor them. We went back to First Avenue with, with Des and Andre and the original Revolution and Apollonia. You know, we just did it, you know, the only way that, you know, we thought we could do it. And then from there, we felt that, you know, other cities, people that couldn't travel, obviously, to Minneapolis and see those three shows, you know, we should start to take it around. And to be honest with you, it's kind of like doing these shows in greater Minnesota is, is kind of a, I think... For a while, I, I, I think it just takes care of the state. We're all grieving. We're all mourning him here. And I think it's it's kind of the original idea that we started, and now we're kind of doing this in Minnesota outside the Twin Cities to, to share this kind of experience of grief. It's a very strange show, you know, because there's grief and there's joy and there's celebration and there's tears. I mean, it's not your average concert, you know what I mean? It's just kind of, there's a a process that the band we're going through as well as the audience it'll be like that you know uh, in, at least in this generation until they start to revere him for the hundreds of years that they will of course has playing under the circumstances with this particular group of people that you mentioned before obviously had a, a certain chemistry and clicked uh, how has that deepened or developed your friendships and relationships with each other over the last couple of years here well we're as as Mark says, you know, we're we're a family and you know, families go through all kinds of stuff and uh we've we'll we're we've grown into appreciate each other and appreciate the music and appreciate the audience and appreciate what we're doing and you know, it's it's just kind of a richer experience now that we've done more of it and we appreciate each other more and you know, we're working on it. You know, the future I you know, who knows what what the future holds, you know, but when we take the stage, we're committed to, you know, in a funny way, we're, we're committed to making him proud. So when you make a mistake, you look up, you don't look at each other. <laughs> Thank you to my guest, Bobby Z. You can find out more about next week's shows in Detroit Lakes, St. Cloud, and Red Wing by visiting the Revolution's Facebook page. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. One of the most electrifying running backs in U of M history was inducted into the M Club Hall of Fame this week in Minneapolis. Lawrence Maroney thrilled Gopher football fans from 2003 through 2005, running for 3,933 yards and 32 touchdowns. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with Maroney earlier this week, just moments before his induction ceremony on the U of M campus. Maroney spoke about what the election into the hall meant to him. It means a lot, man, it's, and I'm still trying to take it in as we speak. It's still an unbelievable moment, man. It, um, 
all I ever wanted to do is come here and just really display my talent and do it at a great uh, and a high rate. And um, it just being inducted just proves to me that I, I came and did my job and I did it well. That's for sure. Uh, what um, you were such an electrifying player. Does I would think you have a run or two, or maybe ten that stand out to you. But do you have a couple that that uh, uh, bring up fond memories? I think you actually hold the record for most runs in school history over fifty yards. I think I do. I think I do. I don't know because you know I was never really one into the records because I remember when the guy Cobb broke my single season rushing record and the funny thing about it I did not even know I had the record until they called me telling me he's finna break the record and it was 10 years later I'm like I had a record at Minnesota I'm like I didn't know that but um I have to say the Wisconsin run the 96 yarder, the 93 yarder it's like it gets no better than that. That was just one of those. And I remember telling Mason, because Mason wasn't really one of those cutback guys. He wanted you to run straight in. And I was telling Mason and Brian, I was like, they over-pursuing the toss because they, they trying to over-pursue the speed. And I was just like, if I cut back, I know I can gash him. And it was one of them game time things. It's just like throughout the game I'm watching, I'm just like, well, listen, what's the worst that can happen if I just cut back and, and then I don't make it work? You know what I'm saying? And it was just one of those where I did it and here we go, a 93-yarder, and it was just an amazing run. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, what You were a young man and playing high school football in St. Louis, Missouri. What what drew you to uh, to Minneapolis, the Twin Cities, and the U of M? Well, it's, it's funny, you know, because I was never a big sports watcher and still don't watch sports at this moment, so I didn't really know what college or who to go to. Um, it was really one of them things to where, um, like I said, I, I wanted to go to Illinois, and the only reason I wanted to go there because they was close to home, and I just knew my family can come because I didn't really know where to go. I didn't know I didn't know nothing about college sports. You know, I was just a pure talent, and and I wanted to go to Ohio State because my half my family is from Ohio, and my brother really liked the Ohio State. And Eddie George, when I did watch him, was one of my favorite running backs. I'm like, oh, I want to go to Ohio State, and I didn't get a letter from Ohio State, so it was just like, who I asked my best friend, like, who play Ohio State? And he was like, well, Illinois. So I'm like, well, that's good because they're close. They play Ohio State. I can give me some revenge. I'm going, and I remember the. The first week of recruiting, I went to Illinois, and the second week of recruiting, I came to Minnesota. And after my visit from Minnesota, Illinois dropped my scholarship. And so I asked my friend, I'm like, well, who played Ohio State and who played Illinois? He said Minnesota. I said, wow, because they recruited me good. And I remember calling Mitch Browning and did a silent commitment. And I didn't know nothing about Minnesota, didn't know nothing about Marion Barber, Thomas DePay, or nothing what I was getting into. All I knew that... Um, they played Illinois and they played Ohio State, and I really wanted to get my get back. And if memory serves, your first big breakout game did come against the Fighting Illini, right? Um, I ain't going to say my first big breakout game because I think if anybody can remember, my first career carry here in Minnesota yeah. was a 60-yard touchdown. Matt, they called it back for holding, but listen, it's still my first touchdown. I'm counting it. Yes. Um, so, but, yeah, um, no, let me see. I think it was. No, it was Indiana. Indiana. It was Indiana was my first 100-yard game yeah. uh, here for the university because Penn State was a nice game when I first started. I, didn't re- I had like 50, 60-some yards in the touchdown when we beat. I think they was like the number two ranked or they was ranked high, and we beat them. We upset them at Penn State, me and Marion. But uh, I think Indiana was a home game was my first a uh, 100-yard game breakout, and then I think Wisconsin came for the axe, and then Illinois came afterwards, but I was, I asked anybody, I was so ready to play Illinois, I wanted to play that game so bad just because I wanted to show them what they lost. 
and, and, and Mason in, 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 in Minnesota gave me the opportunity to do it, and I, and I definitely <laughs> showed up and showed out. What are you up to now? Um, I'm in St. Louis raising my daughter and um, started a real estate company and renting and flipping houses. That's Lawrence Maroney with Mike Grimm, and that's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.